0: How are we doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. This is a morning commute meaning that you are listening to me riding along in my car on the way to work. I don't uh, always feel that I can provide the best coverage on everything other than my own opinions and analysis of what is going on. So I decided to stress that these episodes titled Morning Commute, uh, you know, really can't be uh, or I feel shouldn't be compared to, you know, works of more educated, more experienced people um, just simply because I, you know, really do not spend all of my time doing this. I spend as much as my time as I can learning and researching and developing an analysis about what's going on and also trying to especially as of lately um build a connection with uh international groups and try to find my way uh towards supporting and contacting active people's movements across the world it's difficult you know um especially for folks who are actively involved in a struggle. Uh, But I've been able to connect with some amazing people across the world because of my podcast, because of uh, my social media, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. And I also have been able to connect recently with some amazing folks through organizing as well. And all of this has really been able to teach me quite a lot. But at the end of the day, I'm still learning. Um, Life is an open-ended question, as are many of the uh, systems and struggles that we are going to discuss on this episode and others to come. So, basically, I say all of this to say... If you find any of my analysis incorrect, if you think that it's a bad take, if you think I said something out of context or said something poorly, um, and you feel the need to correct or critique me or ask a question even, you know, regarding why or where I found this information, um, you can reach out to me. Uh, You can DM or, you know, at me on social media. I have TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I also have an email account. Uh it is indefenseofliberation at gmail.com. No caps or spaces. Um and yeah, you can just, you know, reach out and let me know what it is you thought uh was wrong because I personally believe that my pre existing conditions, which are whiteness, uh being raised conservative, being raised in Uh, you know, the belly of the beast, the U.S. Empire, being raised uh, to essentially appreciate and honor colonialism, imperialism, militarism, capitalism, uh, white supremacy, racism, sexism, uh, patriarchy, etc. All of this leads to... A certain kind of chauvinism, a certain kind of ignorance that unless I am daily fighting and trying to learn to develop away from, there is a far better likelihood that I, as a white person in the United States, can you know, falter and have some pretty poor analysis, as many before me have. So I try to fight that as much as I can. I try to learn as much as I can. I try to read as much as I can. But ultimately, hearing from you folks, connecting with other organizations, and really you know, being in discussion and in a, a space of uh, connection with other organizers, that's really what <clears throat> I think is the ticket for all of us. I think that's what is far more likely to actually help us develop our struggle help us solve some of the problems we are facing individually but also as a movement because as we understand as the show's uh, tagline stresses this is a show that is educating about and working towards a people's liberation movement what that means is I believe in the necessity for exploited and oppressed people to take up their fight to take up arms against their oppressor and to struggle and to win i believe that oppressed and exploited people all across the world including and especially here on turtle island where i personally can have an impact need our support they need our solidarity but most of all they need us involved in the struggle there's a lot of ways we can do this But I just want to stress more importantly than ever that we are in a period of time of ongoing reactionary organizing, repression, and violence. Especially coming from, whether it is within or from without, the U.S. empire. We are seeing as the intensification of the military uh, on the border of Ukraine and Russia by the Kiev government uh, which is backed by the United States and was supported in a coup by the United States is also tag teaming with the militarization of the South China Sea and the ongoing reformation of military packs such as AUKUS such as NATO such as Other groups in the global south, like CELAC, like the non-aligned movement in past times, and other ongoing developments between nations like Venezuela and Honduras, Nicaragua, Cuba, China, Vietnam, and plenty of other nations that are taking this idea of people's liberation As their main focus for development. We must understand that this is the only way forward. Speaking historically and scientifically. Changes that must be made to affect and alleviate the struggle of millions cannot be taken on by a few. It must be taken on by a few million, if not a few billion. The common slogan for many is we have a world to win, but what does that really mean? First, we have to talk about what our world is, what it has become, why it has become what it is today. We have to understand the historical development of our world globally. We have to understand the minute and particular developments of certain nations, states, groups, and communities. We have to understand the distinct contradictions between those among the working class, those among the ruling class, And the contradictions between the two. We must also understand how these contradictions intersect, interrelate, and interdevelop. We must understand how to properly take hold of these contradictions, not simply bear witness to them. We have to understand how to be the masters of phenomena rather than the subjects. To or of the phenomenon. We know there are certain relationships that exist in this world. It is told and said that they are, you know, between the haves and the have nots, between the oppressed and the oppressors, between the exploited and the exploiters. There are many ways in which this relationship is described, but we must understand clearly how it developed. We've discussed class society here on the show before. The initial development of commodity production, as well as patriarchy, as well as private property, all led to the seeds that became what we now know as capitalism and ultimately developed also into imperialism. Now, this is a long time running. This is a system and a certain type of society that did not just appear out of thin air. We must dedicate sincere amounts of time and energy towards understanding this development. That means we cannot just plainly look at the situation that exists here in North America. We have to understand the relationship between the global north and the global south historically. We have to understand the relationship between the colonizers and the colonized. We have to understand the relationship between the imperial core and the imperialized nations. We have to understand the necessity for a multipolar, multi ethnic, multinational. Multiracial and multi gender society based on egalitarianism and equity, based on the dictatorship initially for the overthrow of capitalism, of the proletariat over the bourgeoisie, rather than having, as class society has always been, a society based on the rule of the few over the many. We must work towards developing a structure where the majority of the people on this planet are given control, given the ability to administrate, and given the role of leaders in order to be able to take hold of their destiny, in order to be able to take hold of their community, in order to take hold of the economy, of the society, and of human development. Again, we are looking to be masters of phenomena, not subjects of phenomena. So in understanding the way the world is today, I would like to look at America specifically. And when I say America, I mean Turtle Island. The United States Empire, right? It initiated itself as a settler colonial project, meaning that the initial reason for the colonization and the theft of the land, the resources, the people who lived here was for the purpose of settling this land for the European, uh, you know, colonizers and for developing a world for those colonizers that overthrew, destroyed, and committed genocide against the very foundation, the very people who had developed a thousand plus year old society and plenty of them here on Turl Island, but also throughout Central and South America. We know that what we now call the United States was initially colonies, colonies of Europe. The Europeans came here, they took land, they killed indigenous people, they stole their children, they raped their wives, they raped their mothers, they raped their sisters, their cousins, their grandmothers. They massacred people through disease, through outright, uh, you know, encirclement and just Gunfire And I apologize to any Indigenous comrades here on the show I should have given a trigger warning I didn't honestly know I was going to go into such Depths, but it's true, and we know This to be true We know this to be true because Indigenous people Are still here, they're not gone And they have words, they have Resistance movements, they have Organizations which are clearly Eloquating, or excuse me Eloquently uh, Explaining these things to us they're breaking it down in ways that children they as children had to learn had to understand and yet fully grown adults refuse to understand this refuse to analyze this and refuse to accept that this creates a specific situation it creates contradictions which cannot be ignored and must be solved must be relieved. So in looking at this history, we also see towards the uh, solidification of this colonial project that more forms of repression and exploitation come to the fore. As we know, another founding characteristic of what we now call the United States of America was the transatlantic slave trade and chattel slavery of African people we also know that the attempt to enslave Latino and indigenous peoples was also a part of this process the enslavement also of other peoples worldwide would come through, during and at the end of the enslavement legally of African peoples, because as we know, the transatlantic slave trade continued after the abolition of slavery. And we also know, in connecting those dots, that slavery took new forms in mass incarceration, police violence, and outright inequality economically, socially, and politically for all non-white people's across Turtle Island and across the world because it was not only the Americans that were doing the colonialist that were doing the colonizing and developing colonialism it was not and is not only the Americans who are currently imperializing and developing structures of neo-colonialism to oppress and exploit the global south today we cannot ignore this at all So if we look at also the ways in which that this nation had to develop in order to absorb and eliminate the contradictory forces and resistance groups such as the indigenous peoples, such as the African people, such as the Asian and Latino people who were forced to immigrate or be Captured and brought here to what we now call the United States for forced labor, sexual enslavement, and outright dehumanization for monetary gain, for political power, and for social credit in a world focused on the supremacy supposedly of white skin and European origin all while requiring desperately non-white non-Europeans for everything this is a system of control this is a system of capture and enslavement this Is capitalism. This is and cannot be separated from the founding character and the stage that was laid for the reformation of and the further development of capitalism, colonialism, and imperialism. But more importantly, or I guess not more importantly, but importantly, exploitation and oppression generally. Now, many people find that it is unnecessary to consistently point to the economic base of capitalism as the foundation to the inequality and the contradictions between the people, between the ruling classes, and between the people and the ruling class, because they feel that it disconnects from the important struggles of certain ethnic national groups, certain genders, and certain other forms of oppression. But I would like to stress, as many before me have, and as those people stressing has made me realize, that capitalism is the foundation to the relationship that exists between oppressed and exploited people, and therefore must be used as the context by which we analyze this oppression and exploitation. Not because I personally feel that socialism would be a better system of economic egalitarianism and social construction as well as political power. But because capitalism is itself a system based on the exploitation of the many by the oppressing few for the benefit, monetization, profiteering, and usury of the ruling class so as to further become powerful. Should say further their already existing power. This system of control, right, it's going to lead towards resistance. Even someone as young as a child does not listen to everything they are told. Authority and arguing and fighting and wanting for things that we cannot have are endemic to the society we live in today, to the human experience under capitalism and imperialism. But analyzing that authority, analyzing that control, and understanding who has it, what it's being used for, and who it's being used against, Allows us to further understand that it is not authority abstractly nor generally that leads to this oppression. It is not power and wealth itself that leads to these forms of evilness. And it is not whiteness and Europeanness alone that led to colonialism and imperialism, racism and patriarchy. But it is what these systems, these people, and these structures allowed for. It is what relationships were existent. And it was what and is what is benefiting and who it is benefiting that leads to the continued oppression and exploitation by white and European, as well as North American capitalists and imperialists across the globe. That is capitalism and imperialism. My homie Ramiro Sebastian Fuentes, that does unmasking imperialism on YouTube, which also comes out as a podcast, just about everywhere you can find it, uh, has a clip of Ernesto Che Guevara where he's speaking about how imperialism. Is what transforms men into beasts. He says it is the same bestiality in Algeria by the French that exists in uh, the bestiality of the English who colonized the Indian, who colonized the Asian, who colonized the North American, and who colonized the African people. It is the same bestiality that has led to the destruction of Latin America, and it is the same bestiality that is leading towards the destruction of people today. We cannot separate this, however, from its capitalist base, because it is capitalism that led to the wealth power and control being placed in the hands of those that it is in the hands of. So if we understand all of this, now I would like to talk about fascism. I would like to talk about fascism because America is a fascist country. I would like to speak about fascism because I believe that fascism is not central enough to our conversations in the belly of the beast and I feel also, because of my recent readings, which I've mentioned, Blood in the Eye, or Blood in My Eye by George Jackson, Kick in the Belly by uh, oh, Stephanie Dodzi, I believe, uh, Stella Dodzi, excuse me, um, as well as other works by Lennon, by Walter Rodney. Um, I'm trying to check out some of Carr Cabral's as well as other incredible African, Latin American, and Asian liberationists. But most importantly, I am also trying to center my analysis in Marxism. And one of the main uh, fronts which Marxism and socialism was used for was the front of elimination of fascism. Now, George Jackson makes clear That the initial analysis of fascism and what it looked like in the 30s and 40s cannot be the sole basis by which we analyze fascism today. We must understand that fascism, like capitalism, like consumerism, like culture, and like clothing even itself, changes over time. So we must take a deeper look, a concrete analysis of concrete conditions, so as to understand the fascism that exists today here on Turtle Island and across the world. So in further developing this point, I would like to point uh, folks to a few places that I've learned more uh, about fascism. So first and foremost, I would like to stress that everyone read Blood in My Eye by George Jackson, especially those who live here within the U.S. Empire. I would also like to stress Antonio Gramsci and Clara Zetkin's analysis of fascism from the 20s and 30s. I would like to also stress Lenin, uh, his analysis of monopoly capitalism and imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism, as well as some of his other works about Uh, some of the weaknesses of the more reformist socialist parties uh, in Italy, in Germany, and in elsewhere, because I feel that this is also an important thing that we clearly mistake. The weakness of the vanguard parties within these nations where fascism was on the rise was ultimately one of the main characteristics that led towards the ability for fascism to take hold and an outright enemy to put the blame on and to Lead a frontal assault against that was unprepared and unwilling to take on that assault as was necessary um, and lead the masses towards a revolution. However, we cannot really also disconnect this from the very power that the fascists were able to absorb because of their distinctly capitalist orientation, which allowed for their allegiance with and their. Uh, ultimate, you know, funding from the capitalists and imperialists, but also they're strictly anti-union, anti-labor, anti-communist, and anti-progressive, you know, I wouldn't say ideology, but action. I also would point to uh, Michael Parenti's discussions on YouTube about the connections between capitalism and fascism. Um, And I would also like to point you towards... Uh, the marxist projects uh capital or er, uh marxism 101 where it analyzes the development of capitalism uh and uh it's you know kind of further uh, co-option of the state and of human development because i think again this is also another point which is clearly disconnected from uh you know a lot of the material foundation that it provides for us in analyzing things like fascism and like imperialism. Because ultimately, again, capitalism is the economic base by which these uh, systems have been able to prop themselves up, develop, and further fund themselves to march forward. So if we are disconnecting then the importance and the analysis of capitalism from these systems of oppression, then we are ultimately undercutting our ability and our necessity to take certain steps and understand certain structures for the purpose of fully eliminating and uh, you know eradicating these structures of oppression and exploitation. So what I'm really trying to say is this. If we look at the 30s and 40s, what created fascism, was a capitalist system in crisis which was up against other capitalist systems which were in crisis, which each all all had an ongoing resistance movement which either was capable of engaging in the struggle and leading towards liberation, uh, able to engage in the struggle but ultimately led towards its own disintegration, or was incapable of leading a struggle and ultimately capitulated to The uh, reactionary forces that were trying to fight for the furthering of capitalism and imperialism in the post World War I and World War II reality. I would also like to point out that this period of time is when the United Nations and NATO became a thing. Just kind of saying that, like, at this point in time, when NATO and the United Nations. And these other internationalist, pro-capitalist, and pro-imperialist organizations developed at a point in time where the United States, although maybe technically at war, uh, was not 100% against the capitulation to and the allegiance with fascists. We know this because things like Operation Paperclip, where Nazi scientists that should have gone to the Nuremberg trials were instead uh, basically bought out by NASA and used to develop the space race and our nuclear arsenal against the Russians in the Cold War. We also know at this period of time that fascists in Italy, in Spain, and in Japan had been gaining aid from the United States from the OSS, and from the, you know, governments themselves, as well as the private, especially the private industries that originated in uh, European and North American countries. So what Michael Parenti stresses in his discussion about the connection between capitalism and fascism is that it's not always necessarily, uh, you know, everything to say that certain countries supported... The Nazis, or supported the fascists in Italy, or supported the fascists in Spain, or supported the fascists and the imperialists in Japan, but also who these groups, who the fascists, the Nazis, supported themselves. And if we look all throughout Eastern Europe, in Poland, in Czechoslovakia, in Romania, in Lithuania, in Norway, and Denmark... There was Nazi groups, there was fascists, and more importantly, uh, in understanding our necessity as communists and socialists to organize ourselves. There was also a shitload of anti-communist socialists and anarchists. There was also a shitload of, you know, Communist party members who either had, No real interest in a communist revolution or were too scared to basically bite the bullet and do what they needed to in order to fight this fascist uprising. But again, all of this has to be connected. We can't lay the blame on one thing and we must use this analysis and understanding to further develop our struggles and resistance towards fascism, imperialism, and capitalism today. We also must understand what George Jackson made very clear when he says that fascism must not be understood plainly as the fascism that existed during Mussolini, Hitler, and other people's time. We must also understand the fascism of Richard Nixon, of Ronald Reagan, of Jimmy Carter, of the DuPonts, of the J.P. Morgans, of the Rockefellers, of the walmart of the raytheon of the mckinley and co of the private prisons of the democratic and republican parties we must understand the fascist nature of the uh united states of american settler colonial and imperialist project and we must understand plainly then that fascism must be understood and must be seen today as being mostly a reformist system. It is a system based on the reformation of the relationships and of the identities of the people that exist within society. It is a reformation of the existing relationship of capitalist bourgeois society. And it is also the eradication of the former bourgeois society and the development of what George Jackson calls fascism corporativism or capitalist corporativism. And more so, it is the military-industrial complex. It is the pharmaceutical-industrial complex. It is the private prisons. It is the sex trade. It is the further exploitation and oppression through means like social media and uh, through the workforce. We must also understand that the hyper-militarism, of the United States and of NATO is, in fact, a sign that we are diving into yet another neo-Nazi and fascist rise, which we cannot and will not ignore. You want to know why the United States supports so many different groups in the Ukraine? Is because they're anti-Russian and because they have, not for nothing, a very neo-Nazi and fascist agenda. You want to know why the United States gives weapons to Saudi Arabia and to Israel? Is because they are actively occupying and destroying people and committing genocide just as the United States did. You know why the United States supported and armed the Germans, the Italians, the Spanish, and the Japanese as well as fought alongside them for periods of time or fought in periods of appeasement in order to allow for the fascists to openly attack, Jewish people to openly attack, black people to openly attack, the colonized to openly attack, communists and to openly attack just about anyone who stood in the way of their project of control and genocide. The United States cannot and will not be disconnected from its fascist, colonial, and imperialist nature. So going forward, what does that mean for us today? I've talked about fascism quite a bit lately on the show. I haven't got much response to know how people feel about that. But what I do know is that right now, I think that people are aware that we are facing some of the worst circumstances that we have faced in a very long time. They may not recognize this or call it fascism, but I think the recent drive for denuclearization, the recent drive for climate justice the recent drive for the freeing of political prisoners and everything else that is ongoing and creating movements across Turtle Island and across the globe shows clearly that the people are at their wits end and unwilling to continue in circumstances akin to the way they are dealing and having to exist today. Sorry, that was a bad run-on sentence. I tend to do that. Anywho, um, well, hold on here. If you're with me so far and still in agreement, I would also like to mention the fact that fascism, right, never has looked exactly the same in any place that it has existed. It has taken many different forms, it has come from different populations within society, and it has also led to different forms of, uh, you know, development. So in understanding this and in understanding everything we've talked about to this point, I think that we can clearly and we should clearly call the United States a fascist country. I think we also need to look at the ways in which anti-fascists and communists across the world, which have successfully fought to eradicate fascism, reactionaryism, capitalism, and imperialism, or at least fought it back enough to take state power from them, uh, ought to be our guiding roles and the people by which we look to in order to analyze what it is that we do now. So there's a few different groups, I think are of a lot of importance for us to study. One, uh the Black Panthers. I think the Black Panthers were one of the most incredible vanguard parties that the United States ever had. I think we also should look at the Communist Party USA pre-1950. I think we should also look at Uh, the PAIGC. We should look at the Cuban Revolution. We should look at the Sandinistas. We should look at the Chinese Revolution. And we should look at other revolutions that led towards true popular or proletarian power and a system based on egalitarianism, equality, and equity, as well as a socialist or non-capitalistic system can. And I think in that way we must also put aside our purist and chauvinistic understandings of socialism and communism and realize there is a reality we live in and that we have to take on head first. Now, I do not say that to say that any and all further analysis or critiques of a, you know, pure uh marxist or a uh you know really existing socialist country is uncalled for and irresponsible and incorrect but what i will say is one of the most founding uh works that set marx angles marx and engels apart was socialism scientific and utopian, there is a genuine need for people to understand that although there is a genuine, uh, you know, how do I want to put this? Although there are continued contradictions and exploitation under a uh, certain uh, or many different Uh, really existing socialist projects, this is not uh, incorrect or uh, contradictory to the initial theories of Marx and Engels themselves, if that is who you believe ought to be the, uh, you know, main foundation to your understanding of these ideas. Um, There's something I wanted to say here, but just take me One second, because I don't want to forget and I don't want to ramble on. Looking forward and trying to develop struggles that are not only correct, but also capable of engaging with the reality and fighting to... You know, actually try to eradicate these issues. It is far more important to be able to work tactically, to be able to attack problems at their source, but also to not allow for ideology to become dogmatic or a hindrance rather than a true helper in the way that ideology can and should be. We really, you know, we really have to develop a strategy and an ideology based on practical and concrete analysis. I think that You know, there's a lot to Marxism that allows for a lot to be understood, that allows for deep analysis of revolution and political struggle, uh, philosophy, economics, in ways that Really, we don't get from anything else. That's why I'm a Marxist. I believe Marxism is, in fact, the tool by which the masses can develop a struggle and ultimately learn to understand struggle in order to fully succeed in ridding the world of capitalism. I do believe that. But I also believe that that can't happen just because we're Marxists. That that just won't happen just because people read Marx. I believe that Marxism is a tool in the tool belt of the masses. And we must make it as sharp and as dangerous to the bourgeois. In the ruling classes, we can. But we must also seek out other tools. And we must also share our tools with others. So that they can help us to see the need for repair and restructuring of our tools, if we can put it that way. So, I believe... That the struggle allows us to understand that all of these things are open-ended questions. That all of these things are continuous struggles that are going to develop and are going to need to develop for the purpose of correctly attacking the changing scenarios and situations that we are facing today. So in that way, I must say that we really have to just get organizing. We have to take the lessons of those who came before us and use them as an opportunity and as, again, a tool in our tool belt to be able to properly fight our oppressors today. And we must also and especially use these tools to show solidarity with And to properly stand alongside other oppressed and exploited people across the world. We must do this through throwing their imperial and colonial oppressors off of their back, as well as throwing our own capitalist, imperialist, and colonial oppressors off the backs of those here within the empire. I know that this seems like a lot. I know this is terrifying. I know it makes us anxious and makes us realize we have so much to do, but my friends, let that inspire us to organize. Let that that inspire us to act. There's a few last remarks I'd like to make before closing here. First and foremost, understanding that the United States is a fascist and dictatorial, capitalist, imperialist nation is the first step towards developing a movement and a struggle that can eliminate that. Not the only step. The second thing I'd like to say is we are lacking a movement. We need to find ways to bring all the parties together. And I mean parties as in groups of people who are oppressed, who are exploited, parties, groups of people, individuals. We need to bring them together in conferences, in struggles. We have to bring them together for the purpose of learning from one another, for the purpose of humanizing each other for the purpose of developing relationships and being able to help one another. We have to then turn those relationships into robust forms of mutual aid and mass organization. We have to also turn those relationships into what we call solidarity work. Solidarity is not just saying solidarity. Solidarity is not just simply believing that Working class people all over the world are similar in their struggles, and solidarity is not anything less than active allegiance with and participation in the struggles that we can participate in, in order to help one another. We have to understand that we have to build struggles that allow for Black liberation, Indigenous liberation, Chicano liberation, Latino liberation, uh, femme liberation, uh, LGBTQ plus liberation. We have to understand that this also means liberation and freedom for the people of the global South. We have to understand that this means true egalitarianism, not just in word, but in material reality and in the dictatorship of the working and exploited people themselves who cannot and will not allow for this oppression to continue any longer as it has. We will face our struggles and we will face our contradictions. We will deal with them though together and we will fight together for another world based on the equity between people and also the control and the destiny of the masses, being given to the masses. In closing, I would like to say, long live the Libre party of Honduras. Long live Xiomara Castro. I would also like to say long live the Sandinista revolution, Daniel Ortega, and the Nicaraguan people. I'd like to say long live the Venezuelan. People, long live the Bolivarian Revolution, long live Nicolas Maduro. I would also say that we must abolish NATO. We must fully take on the United Nations as an imperialist and fascist organization between the ruling powers of the world. We must develop internationalist connections and organization that is meant to take on these forces and to eliminate them. We have no time like the present, my friends. I would also like to say, we do not need war with China. We do not need war with Russia. And you will not see me standing up for any country against the working people of another, especially a country like the United States that has done nothing for me, done nothing for my comrades, done nothing for the people who have lived here long before the United States was even an idea. And the last thing I will say is this. The earth, the earth is depending on us. Let's not fail, comrades. So long live the revolution, yeah? Uh, I hope everyone had a great day. Uh, I hope everyone is having a great day. I hope everyone is having a great weekend. Uh, I hope to be able to speak with some of you soon. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you think of other episodes. Let me know what you think about having other people on who I should have on. Let me know what you think about joining a reading group I'm a part of. Let me know what you think about, you know, uh, helping me to connect with groups like the Black Alliance for Peace or writers like Gerald Horn. Let me know who should come on and do an episode about the uh, importance of stopping the militarization and war with Russia and China and why the xenophobia and chauvinism against Russian and Chinese people as well as Oppressed and exploited people all over the world cannot be allowed to continue. Anyways, folks, stay healthy, stay happy, and stay revolutionary. We will see you next time. Peace.